1: Today on the Zabecast, Phil Mickelson is sorry. Better late than never, right? Does this now end the La Faire Du Mickelson? Hot dog to the face! Jeff Triplett is on TV now, and an easy way to keep from getting groped on a flight. Andy Poland joins me in studio today. So if you've got 45 minutes to kill, then buckle up and let's go! <laughs> Here we go! Thursday, June 21, 2018, Summer Solstice 2018, the longest day of the year, the most daylight that we will have in the Northern Hemisphere all season long, technically not everywhere, certain parts of the Northern Hemisphere will have a bit longer day, a bit longer of a day uh, in a few days, uh, or they've already had it. By a few days, but for the most part, good old North America, the U.S. of A., today is the longest day of the year. And as always, I must honor Summer Solstice with a little snippet of two of my favorite Summer Solstice-related songs. What? Summer Solstice songs? Yes! Stonehenge, baby! This from the Washington Post- Dot com's capital weather gang talking about the summer solstice little five point explainer piece point number five is what's the deal with stonehenge well y- yeah as you're about to hear from my friend Y elvis what's the deal with stonehenge humans throughout history writes the capital weather gang have celebrated the solstices with rituals such as bonfires and ceremonial dances to mark the passage of the seasons Some ancient cultures, such as the Mayan or Aztec cultures, built special monuments to mark the sun's changing path in the sky. Stonehenge, built more than 5,000 years ago in modern-day England, is perhaps best known of these prehistoric landmarks. Some historians think the large circle of freestanding stones was once a solar calendar to track the seasons. That's because on the summer solstice, the rising sun aligns perfectly with the structure's heel stone positioned outside of the structure's main circle. Now, thousands of people flock to Stonehenge each each year to celebrate the solstices and the equinoxes. Many of them decked out in traditional pagan garb. Yes, indeed. (laughs) I love it. So I got two songs, of course, with Stonehenge, and maybe the only two songs ever recorded. The first one being The Great Spinal Tap. Stone
0: hundreds of years before the dawn of history
1: Michael McKeon, Christopher Guest and of course Harry Shearer a cult classic spinal tap This song like a lot of songs on their album were actually decent songs In fact I kind of like this one here Here we go Oh wait a minute one more here The big thing was their girlfriend the band's girl uh, Michael McKeon's girl, uh, girlfriend she designed the Stonehenge monuments that would drop down from the rafters and put inches on the measurement instead of feet with two tick marks, not one. So they had a tiny little Stonehenge, which was in danger of being trampled by dwarves. Nearly broke the band up right there. Here we go. Here we go.
3: Brr, brr.
1: As I understand it maybe I'm wrong you can correct me They all played their instruments and they all sang I don't know who wrote the songs. But this is a good, this is a solid song. Listen to the harmonies. Now, of course, it's a totally silly song with ridiculous lyrics, but still. Pretty good song. Stonehenge by the good old boys at Spinal Tap. This, though, is my favorite Stonehenge-related song by a guy named Y. Elvis, who has done a number of spoof songs. I don't know his full background. I could have researched it. Nice work on the ZAPECAST. I know, I didn't get to it. I was busy cutting up the essence of this song, Stonehenge. But if you think that I'm a weirdo nerd for loving this song, hey, I'm with 30 million other people on YouTube.
0: Stonehead I think about it when I've dreamed the biggest head that I have ever seen What's the purpose of Stonehead? The giant gratified burnt the cake or prison far too easy prism,
1: to escape. Prison far too easy to escape. I love this bridge right here. Listen to this bridge, it's building, rising up an octave. Away. Don't sing, Zabe. The
3: deal with
1: Listen to how good the backing vocals are. That is some excellent musicianship right there. I dropped it out because I'm going to play it on my show today, but still. Dude, let's build a henge or two. And of course, if you're like me and you like silly, well-produced, stupid songs, then you'll love the video by Y. Elvis. And I did tweet these out on my Twitter feed, so check them out, at Zabe on Twitter. But there you go, your, your summer solstice special one time a year. I play snippets from two of my favorite Stonehenge-related songs. They're the only Stonehenge songs in the world. Maybe. Maybe if there's another Stonehenge song, do let me know. The big news of the day yesterday was that Jeff Triplett recently put out the pasture, finally by the NFL and their refereeing department, has landed like a cat on his feet with a cushy new gig at ESPN's Monday Night Football to replace Jerry Austin as the guy to explain what the rules are. This is straight comedy. This is trolling if it's anything. I, this can't be real. Jeff Triplett, who every ref who every NFL fan has known for a long time has been one of the weakest referees ever in the league unsure of himself often wrong about the actual application of rules a lack of crew command they just if you don't believe me on all this just google jeff Triplett screw up and i'm not even counting the fact that he blinded orlando brown with a flag that was thrown too sharp too horizontally that had ball bearings in the uh waiting of it and caught him right in the eye I'm not even counting that. that. That to me was a was a cosmic mistake that you have a hard time blaming him for. Although I think since that time, since that incident, they made the referees uh, weight their flags with popcorn or something lighter. And I think they instructed them to not throw the flags horizontally where they could come in through the bars of the face mask and hit somebody in the eye. So I'm not even counting that on triplet. I'm just saying, all the other times he screwed up games in a variety of fashions. Just being unsure of the actual rules, misapplying the rules, botching calls, botching explanations, uh, seeing things that nobody else saw, and generally having a lack of a command of his crew. He's now going to be ESPN's guy to sit there on TV and explain things. It's. it's, it's It really makes me think, and normally this is just a joke, this is just an aside, that, you know, he must have photos of somebody somewhere. Okay. Normally it's just a joke, but I'm going to tell you, I saw a story about this in which one source believes the NFL nudged ESPN to hire Triplett this year. Now, if that doesn't scream, oh my God, he does have photos, he actually has photos of the commissioner with a goat or something compromising. And if not photos, maybe emails. What, what does he know? Why is the league so vested in, all right, well, we got to give old Jeff Triplett a job now. By the way, Jeff Triplett, an American hero, war hero, Gulf War Bronze Star recipient uh, in the North Carolina Army Reserve. So, sir, to you, thank you for your service. Not a good referee, though. And I can't believe he's now going to be on television extra point and a conference you ever seen one of these
0: that's
2: a correction <laughs> on the on the previous announcement okay since the foul occurred on a touchdown we can't bank that foul we can't enforce that foul on the try it will be enforced on the kickoff yeah that's what we thought because that was the end we had the same thing before we even asked the question by
1: the way you know the rule book is so laughably dense and complex Every referee in the league, including one of the greats, Ed Hockley, who also retired this year, had a hard time explaining a lot of rules and a lot of calls. So, yeah, it's not just him.
0: Section 47, subchapter 12, column B3.
1: Al Michaels making fun of the rule book right there. So, we'll see. I tell you what, it's going to give us material. There's no question about that. This is an easy summertime topic. Hot dog to the face! Happened in Philadelphia with a woman who was not ready to catch, deflect, or otherwise duck a projectile-launched hot dog from the Philadelphia, from the Philly Fanatic and his Philly Fanatic hot dog launching cart. This apparently a staple of Phillies games, has been for some time. The hot dogs that are launched free into the crowd as a delicious, edible souvenir of sorts are actually wrapped in duct tape so they don't disintegrate. Because that was the first problem with trying to... Somebody had a great idea, make no mistake. They said, let's use one of these pneumatic tubes to (coughs) launch food, maybe a hot dog, into the stands and somebody can catch it and go, "Mm, mm, 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 hmm, delicious. Sort of a riff on the t-shirt cannon. Well, the early efforts to launch hot dogs much like the early efforts of probably the space program were disastrous and that the hot dogs would disintegrate due to the extreme g-forces well they apparently have now fortified the hot dogs with maybe an extra layer of aluminum foil and duct tape well that can lead to some problems sometimes like this story of one kathy mcveigh of plymouth meeting pennsylvania ...with a strange story involving the Fanatic, a hot dog, and a head injury. On Monday, the green mascot shot a free meal high into the stands with his iconic cannon. By the way, this anchor in uh, Philadelphia, Channel 6, he's going places. He has a very good voice. It's a little bit pukey, but it's just a, a, just a touch of it. A very rich voice. He has in perfect, impossibly perfect hair. And he just looks great on television. He's like a Brian Williams clone without the line. Hitting a Montgomery County woman square in the face. And here's a sentence I never thought I'd say. But if you thought a bun and a sausage couldn't really hurt anyone, frankly, think again. Uh-huh. Action News Sarah Bloom press live in Plymouth meeting frankly. this afternoon to explain just what caused all this damage. Seriously. I love how it's like, well, let's go live uh, to our Action News reporter on the scene. In the house of this woman, Ms. Kathy McVeigh, who got hit in the face by a hot dog launch from a cannon.
0: There's injuries here, Sarah.
3: Yeah, Brian. Trust me, this is not what Kathy McVeigh wanted to be known for. Monday night at the
1: What did she want to be known for? I have no idea.
3: Philly's game. She got hit right between the eyes by a hot dog fired from the Fanatics hot dog cannon. The injury's bad enough she got sent to the emergency room. Now she has a message
4: for other Phillies fans. Oh, my gosh. I never thought a hot dog could hurt. <laughs> Kathy McVeigh did get hurt.
1: Her face is pretty dog. jacked up. She's got a good shiner on her right eye, and she's got abrasions on the bridge of her nose. I,
3: night, McVeigh was seated behind home I play-
1: can't imagine, though, at the emergency room, them hustling her ahead of somebody with a real medical emergency. Just
3: like in this YouTube video posted by Major League Baseball. Keep in mind the Fanatics hot dogs are wrapped in duct tape. Yes. And one
4: landed squarely between McVeigh's eyes. And then next thing I know, he, shooted a, he shot it in our direction. And... Bam. It le-
1: now you're probably wondering wait a minute, why didn't she just reach up and catch it or deflect it? Well, there's a story behind that as well. It
4: hit me like a, a ton of bricks. My glasses. No,
1: no, it hit you like a hot dog wrapped in tinfoil, which, not a lot of mass there. It hit me like a ton of bricks. No, no, you, you do, if you'd hit you like a ton of bricks, you'd know it.
4: Flew.
3: She says she couldn't catch or swatted away because she has a shoulder injury that requires oh. surgery in the coming days.
1: Yeah, I get, what, on both shoulders? You can't hot dog deflect with your left arm? Come on, lady.
3: That night, she ended up in the emergency room to make sure she didn't suffer a concussion. <laughs> a concussion.
1: A concussion. Get out of here. Get out of my face with that crazy crap. A concussion. Yes, she's on the uh, she's on the concussion protocol. Uh, she's out for several weeks because of a hot dog to the face.
0: In the face! In the face! No! In the
1: face!
4: <laughs> Nothing's broken, thank God. But
1: Th- thank God, yes, indeed. You know, it's going to be
4: <laughs> it's sore. It's very sore. Kathy McVeigh loves
3: the Phillies and doesn't plan to take legal action.
1: Ah, for- uh, hold on a second. Don't be so quick to say that. You get—you probably get something out of this.
4: But she does have a message for fans. Just to be aware, you know, because you never know. You know, I mean.
1: You-, you never know. Life is short. One day you're just enjoying the Phillies. Next day you're getting hit with a ton of bricks to your face, which is really just a hot dog wrapped in duct tape. You
4: would think, it, it, I, I understand a baseball, but not a hot dog. <laughs> and yes she does
3: understand if her story
4: gets a few laughs it gives people a good laugh and if that makes somebody chuckle then that's fine
1: you know what ms mcveigh you're a sweet lady you have made us laugh and we're not blaming you although let's be honest using that shoulder injury to say well that's why i didn't deflect it kind of weak kind of weak if you're gonna go to a game with a shoulder injury you better be ready to deflect deflect left hand deflect
3: She's a good sport about it. The Phillies did reach out to Kathy directly yesterday to apologize. A spokesperson told me today that the Fanatic feels terrible about this.
1: Yeah, I'm sure the Fanatic is devastated.
3: Nobody's ever been injured by a flying hot dog at Citizens Bank Park before.
1: Well, now they have.
3: They've offered Kathy free tickets when she's feeling up to returning to a game again.
1: (laughs) I just love it. Action News 6 on the case. (sighs) According to a 2002 Cardozo Law Review article, the Philly fanatic is the, quote, most sued mascot in the majors. (laughs) Now that's a distinction right there. All right, real quick. Phil Mickelson has apologized for his slap putt at the U.S. Open. Does this now essentially end the whole situation here's the actual quote didn't say this in front of microphones or in front of the media he issued a not even a statement per se he just let he told a reporter this and it got disseminated such but Mickelson said quote I know this should have come sooner but it's taken me a few days to calm down my anger and frustration got the best of me last weekend I'm embarrassed and disappointed by my actions it was clearly not my finest moment and I'm sorry fine i wasn't asking for an apology i don't need an apology i don't care this is your reputation it's better late than never it's at least a step in the right direction to say you know what i I was not going to outrun this by pretending like no big deal and i was being so smart with the rules and finding a loophole to exploit and i only took a 10 on that hole and instead you know i uh uh, you know i only took a 10 and and i'm so great shot 81 it's fantastic Nobody was buying that. Nobody was looking at that like, wow, that's really great. Wow, we're going to have to close that loophole because, boy, lots of people are going to be doing that. No. Nobody's going to be doing that. Only douchebags who are frustrated will be doing that. So, fine for Mickelson. I just, again, he says, "My ang- it took me a few days to calm down. You looked calm on Saturday. You looked calm on Sunday. And I'm embarrassed and disappointed by my actions. Well, now you're embarrassed and disappointed, but you weren't on Saturday after the round, and again on Sunday. Eh, I'll leave it there. I'm not beating the guy up. Whatever. He did the right thing. I'm sure his wife got to him. I'm sure his agent got to him. I'm sure friends got to him and said, Phil, this is a bad look. Take this coat that you have picked up and put on and throw it in the trash. You don't want to be known for this. You don't want to carry this forward. This is a dead-end loser proposition for you. And I think after thinking about it for a couple days, Phil said, yeah, you know what? You're right. All right. I had a chance to catch up with my buddy Andy Polin. I actually paid a home visit to the home studios of the Team 980 high above Rockville Pike. All right. Andy Polin <laughs> is with me. Look at these digs. We, I wish I had a, a video stream of this. In the old ESPN 980 studios high above Rollins Avenue in Rockville Pike. Welcome back, Andy. Welcome
2: it's good back. to be back. Um, as I look... Longingly, at the apartment complex,
1: which used to be the site of putt-putt golf. <laughs> how many hours did you spend in this very studio total? That's and a- it, would, it would have all been with me, because at that time we were together as a team. So how many hours did we spend in this studio, do you
2: think? Yeah, when I did Tony's show, we did it in another studio. But uh, you and
1: I, three hours a day. Three hours a day for... for- Fifteen years? 14, I don't know if we did 15,
2: 13, 14, and two, two different stints. I know when Sean Taylor died, we had the Mike and Mike show. So Doc Walker and I, I think over a course of three days, did about 12 or 13 hours together. Really? Yeah, because wow. remember, he was, he was shot on a Sunday... He lived through Monday, so he did shows of, oh, God, you know. What's, what's going to happen yeah.
1: and da 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 And then I,
2: I think I heard it on your morning show. Which, that he had died. That he had died, and then we came in, we were called in to do uh, some more hours. Happened local.
1: five minutes before we went on air, and yeah. it was a gut punch. He was like, what? Yeah. Because, unfortunately, Vinny ran his friggin' mouth. <laughs> And said, oh, I think he's made a turn for the better, right? Didn't Vinny say something like that? Well, he said he
2: squeezed somebody's hand or he made eye contact or some nonsense like that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Well, we've got news, Andy. We've lost our hockey coach. How do you like that? Yeah. What Uh, is your take on the great trots walk of 2018?
2: Well, first of all, his agent clearly didn't see the market when he had what... Ted Leonsis was claiming a contract
1: extension that kicked in once he won the cup. Let's start with that. Ted, for all of his things he doesn't do great, keeps the best lid on secret contracts. Ernie got extended. Yeah. And we never knew about it Well, that's until one it was broken after the fact by Mike Wise. <laughs> yeah, that's one of those odd ones where you have
2: to keep it from the fans yes. that your general
1: manager has how, been extended. How amazing is it that we all thought Trotz was a free agent coach, and then, oh, no, no, if you won the cup, that's a two-year extension, but only a $300,000 raise. Yeah.
2: so his, his agent clearly didn't see the market. Uh, but then, when they announced that Trotz was leaving, Brian McClellan, who... Uh, from what I've heard, the relationship between the two of them wasn't very good, and it was exacerbated by Todd Reardon getting promoted to associate coach last year with a contract extension, and McClellan getting an extension without Trotz getting one. Right, so, so it yeah, was sticky. Trotz
1: knew it was cold right. in that
2: room. But then he said at the news conference that the five years was a sticking point. Now, in McClellan pro- said that. Yeah, in in years where I was growing up, if a team won a championship. The general manager would get an extension with, and we're or the coach would get an extension with. We're so happy to lock up the best coach in hockey for the next five years, and right. we feel great about that. But he said, "No, you know, then it would be like nine years total, and you know, nine years, a long, long, time. long time." You know, <laughs> I mean, that's that to me, like it would be like, if, let's say Joe Gibbs won his first Super Bowl, right, and that was in his second year, and maybe he had only a two-year contract, and Jack Ken Cook said. Eh, we were going to give him another three years, but then he would have been here five, and that seems like a lot. You know, we had we had a Jack party here for three, and that
1: was enough. Plus, you know how long he had been in Nashville, right? Fifteen years. Fifteen years. Yeah. So I, I think this is one of these moves where Ted better damn hope. He better damn hope that this works out. If they miss the playoffs, this is really bad. Your boy Lovey did a great job of pretty much – laying all the cards on the table saying, look at these coaches that Ted has cycled through yeah. that couldn't do it at the NHL level. From Bruce Cassidy to Bruce Boudreaux, although Cassidy's back in the league. Boudreaux did pretty right. well. He Boudreau just- did okay, but he hadn't... He consistently loses in the playoffs, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he couldn't okay. get along with Ovechkin, ultimately. And there that, was that as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, Adam Oates stunk. Yeah. Dale Hunter didn't even want to do it. They had to twist his arm, and mm-hmm. he lasted one year and done.
2: Well, he's the one that uh, kept Ovi on the bench, though. That's I know. You know. He did well in that playoff series, which they I lost. Know. I know, so, I know, I know. Yeah, and, and look, all the coaches, this has happened before. They go into the last year of their contract... Without an extension. So they're lame duck. He's he's didn't He did this with Randy Whitman. Uh right. And I think he's done it with a couple of hockey coaches, too. He did it with his general manager. George McPhee went into a lame duck year. Do
1: you understand the thinking of billionaire owners to be this penny-pinching on coaches when they will spend freely on players? Because I don't. Yeah. I, I don't get it. I,
2: I guess it's a separate budget. That's the way they look at it. Like, there's a player budget and there's a coach budget. Because... The learners are doing the same thing. I know, which I think is insane. Yeah, look, if they'd have stayed with Davey, if they'd have stayed with Dusty, we might have
1: a World Series by now. Right. So why do you think billionaires think that way? Is it the ego of, yeah, yeah, you're not a player. Mm -hmm. Players are rare commodities, that have to be purchased at exorbitant sums, you're just management, you coach. Yeah. You're like us up here in the front office. You think you know more than we do, but we watch you every day. We talk to you every day. Mm. We talk to the players all the time. You're not any better than us. Well, Is that how they think of coaches? Snyder's paid coaches. I know. Snyder paid
2: Gibbs. I know. He paid Shanahan. He paid Spurrier. Spurrier had an
1: unbelievable contract for its time. He So he's not afraid to pay Paying coaches is a guarantor of success, right? I'm saying I don't understand how owners who are billionaires get so penny pinching on coaches' salaries. Maybe they're afraid to keep ratcheting up the market mm-hmm. for the rest of their billionaire brethren. Yeah, yeah, don't think that could well, be. It? I, that's not what Snyder did. I mean,
2: he he reset the market on three times, I think. Okay, um, but you know, so I,
1: you would have brought back Trots right? if Yeah, but but I understand... At 5 for 25, would you write that check? Because I would. I would I'd be like, welcome back. Now get out of my office right. unless you need more money, and then come see me because Stanley Cup champions! Right, but at the other side of it
2: is, he says to trots. well, I got a piece of paper here with your signature on it, which says a two-year extension kicks in with a $300,000 raise. I want to enforce that contract. You know, when Joe Gibbs retired the first time after the 90... Two season, remember that they won the Super Bowl ninety one, ninety two. They made the playoffs, but were eliminated. Lost to the Bears at home. I right? think they lost to the Niners on the road. It was the second. Oh right, right, yeah. right, right. Okay, right. so that was that was the ninety two team, which which really struggled. And salary cap was coming. He knew he was going to have to part with a bunch of veterans. Mm-hmm. His health was a problem. Rip had turned back into a pumpkin. Basically, yeah, all that. And so he he left. Now he left with time left on his contract. He sat out for that season, the ninety three season. At the end of the season, the the expansion Carolina Panthers had come in. They were getting ready to play for 1995, I think. Yep. 95 was their first year. So they said at the end of the 93 season, uh, we'd like to talk to Coach Gibbs about becoming our coach. Gibbs wanted to be the coach. He was at least interested in talking mm. about it. But Jack Ken Cook said, no, 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 no. I got a contract here right. which says you're the Redskin coach through the end of the 94 season. Right. And if you want to talk to them, you're going to. I don't know whether he wanted a buyout, but he also said, I've got your checks here on on my desk if you want to come get them because <laughs> he'd already fired <laughs> Richie Pettibone at the end of the year. So I don't think Ted could do
1: that with trots. I'm not sure. but Well, then you get into offset language, too. Remember yeah. when Marty got booted after one year here? Yeah. He went to work for the Chargers. But he had to give some money back, I think. Well, the there also, was offset language in the deal. Right. And and
2: what, what the Chargers paid him was deducted from what Snyder owed him for three more years.
1: Oh, it was? Okay. Yeah, that's how that They works. probably signed him for very cheap, if I recall. Yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. 45 grand a year with <laughs> yeah. two weeks of vacation. <laughs> exactly. How's that work for you, yeah. Marty? Yeah. And Dan, you can pick up the rest. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that works. All right. So, do you feel sorry for Trots? No. Well, wow, that was quick. No. Why should you feel sorry for him? He got fucked. Well,
2: I don't know if you know. You know, look. He won the cup. He won what the What
1: more could he do? He
2: won. He did what he had to do, but I understand his agent was really
1: foolish to work out a contract. Well, that see, that's the thing. Like, if, you know, his agent should have written in there, if my guy wins the Stanley Cup, it's a $10 million bonus. Yeah. And then if the owner balks at that, like, whoa, whoa, you say, I'm sorry, if they win the cup, you're not going to care about $10 million. Mm-hmm. You make $10 million in T-shirt sales. Yeah, but did did when he signed the contract think,
2: capital, Stanley Cup, sure, I'll sign that. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
1: I guess he thought, okay, two more years of security, but not much more money. Although that was five years ago, and in the five yeah. years, you know, the salaries have exploded. They have. Uh, what if Trotz had said, oh, no. No, you're going to have to fire me because I want to coach here at below market rates with my modest $300,000 bump. Oh, I think they would have been happy to have him back for that, don't you? No, because they had lined up Reardon. Okay, but the Reardon era was to begin. I think they would have had to have fired him. Do you think that they looked at Reardon
2: the way the Redskins longingly look at Sean McVay in that you know, he's the young, great coach that's going to be the future of the NHL, and they want to make sure he
1: doesn't get away? I don't know. I guess, they, you know, he and McClellan go back to their Bowling Green days, or so I heard. So, yeah. you know, friends hire friends. Yeah, You know it in, well, in, in that business
2: and in other businesses. Our friend Al Koken was on with Tom and me last weekend, and he mm-hmm. was, this was before Trotz was out, and he was singing the praises of Reardon to the Sky. He He said the players love him change the defense okay oh yeah so the the younger players especially really like okay him. well if it works out it's all it's all
1: gravy yeah no one's gonna think twice we well,
2: got a cup here it's
1: it, you know and if they miss the playoffs though <laughs>
2: well it's gonna suck yeah
1: but what, what are the chances of that what are the chances of that yeah 50 think, 50
2: yeah i don't know they when's <laughs> the last
1: time they missed it what three years ago the team's missing the nhl yeah okay sure. i mean ovi comes back a few pounds overweight yeah hung over still oh yeah from a summer of complete partying right. doesn't give nearly as much of a shit about stuff and maybe this year maybe next year they they will be suck it's a long season though i know it it's is. a really long season next year we are going to be suck because we are going to be hungover how about that how about how long that party lasted that was fantastic now when i met with you on your deck i forgot had the parade happened yet uh, no so Give me your thoughts on the parade, Andy. I enjoyed it. I was at
2: Ninth and Constitution. Who are you with? Myself. Okay. Uh, I was on with the junkies. You working, working uh, for the station. No, I was on with the junkies that morning. Well, that's working. And uh, and frankly, they spent quite a bit of time discussing whether they should go to their convertible rides in the parade by Uber or by Metro. Oh, oh boy! But uh, okay. yeah, junkies
1: uh, got to ride in the parade in convertibles. Yeah, that's, they did. Which that's good for quite them. a quite a feather in their cap, you know, for four kids yeah. from Bowie, yep. who started out with a cable access show. Right? It was great. I mean, a good
2: Cinderella for th- story yep. for lurching the boys. Good, good for them. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, I rode the metro with them over there, and then they went to go onto their cars. So I just uh, you know followed the red and made my way down to Ninth and Constitution, which was towards the end of the parade route and uh, so I was able to see early in the parade. Now, I had to wait like 40 minutes for the parade to get to me. I think I was close to you. I think I was on 7th and Goss, You were right at like the that. end, then, because that's, that's, yeah. that's where it ended up. Yeah, I didn't get it to the end, so I stayed there, and uh, I saw Joe B. and Locker go by. I saw Ron Weber uh, go yeah, by. I saw all
1: these guys, too, Andy. Yeah, Anything but, else interesting? But I
2: didn't see Al Kokin in one of those convertibles, and that bothered me a little bit until... At the end of the parade I saw he was on the final bus with OV.
1: Oh, he was. And
2: the cop. Oh good. And Ted Leonces. Good
1: because they let everybody and their mom be in that goddamn parade. <laughs> like seriously, that was the one thing that annoyed me that. You really? Oh, you thought there were that many? Andy, how many random people were in the parade either on buses or walking? Well,
2: I saw a busload of original Caps fans, season ticket holders since 94. Okay. One woman was wearing a Guy Charon jersey, which I thought was wow. impressive. Yeah. Guy Charon. So that was nice. Uh, there were families. There were They spread the players out. Some of the players got
1: off the buses and high-fived Too the many fans. randos. But who were like, the randos? You don't know, because oh. they're randos. <laughs> they were people you're like, who is that? Yeah. Why are they there? And some floats only had one or two players on it. Others had more right. floats buses whatever buses. double-decker buses. I also didn't like the fact that civilians were allowed to wear replica jerseys oh they should have been told oh here we go listen to you yeah. oh oh the tables turn on the fl- on the per- on the buses oh on the Andy, on the buses where you are having a hard time picking out as a fan who who is yeah. that yeah you should not wear a replica jersey welcome if, home No,
2: not home. Yeah, you're seeing it my way. If you wear somebody else's jersey, especially when you get to be my age, you look like a schmuck.
1: No, Andy, it's totally different. It's a matter of, for visual impact, Mm -hmm. every bus should have had two or three of our heroes of the hockey team in their jerseys. And everybody else should have been wearing something else, right. a white T-shirt that says champs on it. You hand out the T-shirts for the civilian schmoes, mm-hmm. the randos, and the nobodies, and the hangers-ons, and the friends of the friends of the friends, so that the heroes stand out. You can't miss them. Oh, look at that. Yes, There's but, Adam Oates. Or Pop- not Adam, there's uh, uh, Oshi. Oh, look, there's Beagle. Oh, look, there's DSP. But
2: part of the culture of the uh, fan experience of going to a game is wearing a jersey. I'm amazed when I go to Capitals games. What percentage of the crowd is wearing jerseys? You know
1: I didn't want any randos waving at me. Okay. Well, did you get insulted? Did you say, "Hey, who are you? Are you a hockey person, Andy?" It's not that I was insulted. I just looked up at the bus, going, "You're just a random person <laughs> who knows somebody who knows somebody." Like, so I don't like. I don't want to look at you or wave at you or pump my fist at you. Shut up. Give me the players. If
2: you were invited to be on the parade, if you were invited to be on one of the buses, would you have turned it down? Because people would
1: say, who is that guy? I would have kind of been a little bit embarrassed. Really? I'm a purist. I believe that I I wouldn't have touched the cup. And apparently Ovi is telling everyone he takes the cup to touch it, hold it, hug it, kiss it, Mm -hmm. lift it up, have fun with it. That's the greatest trophy in sports. Why not? It is. But doesn't that pawing
2: of lord stanley cheapen it to some degree no, i think it enhances the experience of fandom that okay.
1: you get to touch the cup i like okay. that all right uh what did you think of mickelson i'd now, love to hear your thoughts on this one now, Andy, by the way tried golf yeah. around 2005 yeah and took lessons mm-hmm. and decided after a brief uh stint not for me yeah and quit the game with no regrets. Right. No bitterness, no hostility. You don't yes. hate golf. You like watching it, yeah, especially on Sundays if the old red shirt Tiger Woods is in contention. Right. And you watch the majors, so you're not anti-golf, but that's what Andy did. He tried it, wasn't for him, and he quit. What did you think of Mickelson? Well, I mean, it,
2: it was it was clearly, as, as he admitted on Wednesday, yes. uh, an act of anger and disrespect. And, but he didn't admit that right away. Yeah, and that was bad. That was bad. That was really bad. Douchey. Yeah. That was, I mean, <laughs> as, as all the golf people said while it was happening, well, he needs to apologize for this. And he came up with this lame-o excuse of, oh, I understood it was a two-shot penalty, and I knew it was a
1: strategic
2: move. Yeah, it was going to roll right off the green, so I thought rather than take a drop, oh, come on, stop it. <laughs> and now you're, you've never been a huge Mickelson fan. I've
1: right? waffled. Yeah. I've waffled because at times i've been all in i've been liking this guy yeah. and then he'll do something that makes you roll your eyes and makes you wonder what a douchebag this guy is i didn't like how he threw tom watson under the bus mm-hmm. at the ryder cup a couple of years ago a couple of cycles ago over in uh, Glen eagles yeah. because it was literally on the dais on sunday after they had just lost right. it took away all the shine from the european team that had won that ryder cup fair and square they were the better team and it was a petulant tirade that Mickelson did because he knew he has the backing in the media. That's the one thing Mickelson has smartly done. By dealing with the media in a way that is accessible and professional and by being a fan favorite, he's got clout. And he's now using that and trying to use that for, for purposes that you know are pretty much his own agenda. Hates the USGA. And so he knew that he would still get fans to cheer him on after slapping the ball around the green like Happy Gilmore. Mm-hmm which he did. Fans on Saturday and Sunday, Phil, you're great. How's it going?
2: Well, because all of you guys who play have done that,
1: right? Yes. Yes. Not in competition, though. No,
2: but you, you can relate to the anger that he was feeling at the
1: time. 100%. Yeah. We also relate to the fact that thousands upon thousands of pro golfers have never done that in right. competition. Right, right. And would never. Th- can you imagine Jack oh, and Jack Andy? Never do, Jack would never do that. What, what would Jack say?
2: Well, that's uh, dis- dis- disrespecting the game. Would never do that. In fact, I would have just hit a flop shot and got it on the green and played my golf ball. So I don't and What
1: would Barbara? Can you, can you, whenever you do your Jack, I like <laughs> hearing like, right, you mention Barbara. Barbara. yeah, yeah Barbara, she, 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 I'd have been sleeping on the sofa for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, no. Well, Mickelson. Mickelson did come back. Well, his the,
2: wife. His wife came out before he did on Sunday and, and said he, said he was, it wasn't his
1: finest moment. Yeah. Well, mm. maybe his wife got to him and said, "Look, yeah, this, you know, this." Because we got apology, kids. You know, the kids are probably getting a bunch of crap at school about that. You know, right? Because don't you think you being a non-golfer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that what he did was kind of cheating? It was. Well, right. it wasn't
2: cheating in that. And- he took the two stroke penalty but it was disrespectful to the game he broke a
1: rule on purpose most golf rules are broken inadvertently okay like the the rules of golf are such that yes you may know you get penalized but you mm-hmm. don't try to oh, break the rule right oh, okay I, I didn't i don't know don't that don't you part. think i i
2: well it would just seem to me a guy of his stature knowing the game as he did
1: uh would know that that was disrespectful and he also uh, he also could have been disqualified. In fact, he also should have been disqualified, which if he was any other player, he would have almost certainly been disqualified. And if he were another player, uh, even though he is you know, not going to win the tournament, they want that money. From playing four days in a row. Mm -hmm. And so they need that money. They don't take getting DQ'd lightly. They wouldn't do it just because their ball's rolling down the green. But he he could afford to do that, obviously, for his riches. Well, yeah, of course. And and, And the same guy that skipped last year's U.S. Open for what? A graduation. Although
2: he thought he could fly there at the last minute. Yeah, he's like, I hope I I get a late tea time so I can make it here. let, Let me ask you this. John Daly has done
1: similar things, right? Did it once at Pinehurst, but he did it... He dq himself. He just walked oh, okay. off the course So afterwards. by by, d- by taking himself out, because there is Had a... Had Mickelson sit- DQ'd himself and said, you know what? Had Mickelson said afterwards, look, I screwed up. I lost my cool. I'm embarrassed. Shouldn't have happened. Uh, even though the USGA said it's a two-stroke penalty, I'm withdrawing because I felt it was not... In the spirit of the rules, I'll do better next time. Then a lot of people like me would have said, okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. You lost your mind. You okay. got hot-headed. But instead he made it worse. Yeah, he, he lied. That's, so, that's, yeah, So now, he's, now he's, here's the quote. I know this should have come sooner, but it's taken me a few days to calm down. My anger and frustration got the best of me last week, and I'm embarrassed and disappointed by my actions. It was clearly not my finest moment, and I am sorry. At least, Andy, he used those two words that are the necessary ingredients ingredients in any apology I'm and sorry. Mm -hmm. How many apologies in sports do you recall in which the words I'm sorry never appear? Well, they appear, but
2: they are preceded by, if I have offended anyone, I'm sorry. They might even say, if
1: if I offended anyone, I regret it. Yeah, They don't say, I'm sorry. Mm. So many sports apologies never say, I'm sorry. Okay. Anything else in the world of sports this week that is uh, on your mind? Uh let's as see. As we head towards the doldrums. Well we summer, we are we all. are in
2: the midst of a terrible Bryce Harper slump. And
1: yes. shaved his beard.
2: Yeah. Now he did Might have Might as well
1: a, shave your beard when you're slumping.
2: He did have a double against the Orioles, but the Orioles pitching stinks. Um <laughs> You know, is is this a classic case of the pressure of, of what he wants to do, go play for the Yankees and make $400 million, is that, is that getting to him? I don't know. I yeah. mean, it, it, this is, you know, the, the, we were having two years ago Trout and Harper debates. We don't have
1: those anymore. Do you know the season Trout is having? Trout is having it? what could be the greatest season in the history of baseball. And the Angels keep sinking further and further out west. They're right. not going to make the playoffs, yeah. which is hard to even fathom, but yeah.
2: I will, uh, I will credit Al Ghali for this tweet. Uh, the way they're getting play out of Juan Soto and home runs. Oh, would, Harper's gone. Yeah, but. Gone. If you had money that you were keeping in a chest to sign him, would you give that to Manny Machado? Yeah, I know. I saw that.
1: So, That'd be pretty ballsy, right? Let's still well, make a move for Machado. Because we already have a surplus of outfielders. Right. Get a bigger bat in the infield. And Trey Turner is probably a more
2: natural second baseman. Daniel Murphy's in the last year of his you contract. Move him, yeah. He's going to go, and so you not only take care of the infield situation, but you really stick it to Angelos, who's sticking it to you still in the uh, Masson dispute. Yeah,
1: that'd yeah. be interesting. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then finally, Andy uh, looks like these ESPN shows oh. are not doing well. ESPN just sent out a release on Wednesday that their Sports Center with our friend Sage Steele. We like very much, yes. does a great job with Kevin Nagande, is up 19% from a year ago. From a show that was an embarrassment, let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, but Jamel Hill and Mike Smith, uh, Mike Smith Michael Smith? Yeah, Michael My, Smith. Michael Smith, yeah. I called him Mike Smith. I was yeah. like, wait a minute. He's, he's right. completely off the network, but Jamel Hill is appearing periodically. They both have massive contracts, but that is really. Talk about like, hey, can you not crow about this so much, please? Well, they got to because the Get Up ratings are still abysmal. Well, the Get Up ratings, Get Up got less than two hundred thousand viewers one day last week, which even for the doldrums of summer is a new low for ESPN programming they never envisioned. Yeah. and this new new the high noon. Have you watched high noon? No. With Pablo Torre and Bomani no. Jones. No. Why not? I find myself watching less and less ESPN.
2: I watch <laughs> P- I watch PTI. Okay. Um, I watch a little bit of Sports Center.
1: But the uh, the other debate shows don't don't really interest me. You know, High Noon, it's got good production value. It's filmed differently in 24p format, so it looks a little filmish. They've mm. got different angles. But at the end of the day, it's still two guys talking sports. Yeah. And it's two guys that aren't like guys' guys. Is it an hour? They, uh, I don't even See, know. Because these shows have gotten longer and longer. I know, to fill the time. It might be a full hour. Whatever the case is. They're not guys, guys. You know, Bomani Jones fashions himself a uh, socio socio, uh, intellectual. Right. Pablo Torre went to Harvard, I guess. He's Mm -hmm. very smart. But that's like the nerd table at the cafeteria of sports. The cool table is Levitard and Stu Gatz and his crew. Right. That's the one show that if they were cafeteria tables, you'd be like, I want to go hang with yeah, those guys because right. they actually have fun. They rip on each other. Yep. They don't take all this shit too seriously. Hey, uh, there's a seat by Bubonic Jones and Pablo Torre. Nah, no, no thanks. Well, but but you know, while
2: Levitard is is Cuban, uh, there is a demand to have two eth- different ethnicities sure. on on that type
1: of show. Well, and, and here's the thing: just get Levitard is more of a guy's guy, though. Yeah, so you can tick the boxes of ethnicity. But you can't have nerds. I mean, Pablo Torre is a dweeb. He might be the nicest guy ever. He might be the smartest guy ever. Well, He's He's not a guy's
2: guy. Well, as we tape this, I'm looking behind you on the screen, and there's Adrian Wojanowski, who looks like the biggest nerd of all, but he's got all the NBA scoops. I know. And and it's going to be a hell of a summer. Where's LeBron going? LeBron James is going back to Cleveland.
1: Get out! Yeah, yeah. after you all... and Murray think the same thing. You yeah. said the same thing to me yesterday. Because the because
2: he, he's he's there's G- nowhere else to go. Well, no, he's the GM of the team. I don't know if he can be the GM of the team anywhere. Know. So he'll he'll decide what trades they want to make. Who wants to, who he wants to coach the team. Some
1: say he's not quite the GM that you know. Mm. He wanted David Griffin to stay, mm. and they got rid of Griffin. And this new guy I, made some deals he didn't like. Okay, I think he's going to the Lakers. I think we'll I think Paul that. George winds up in Cleveland. How, How bad is it that our Wizards are not even in the conversation? Because we should be a ready-made spot, no, but a hot landing spot where a team right on the edge of being pushed over in a world-class city, a capital city, and nobody wants to come here still. Right.
2: Well, they, they, first of all, they don't have the money to do it. They got five, $100 million committed to five players.
1: Only two of them are our all-star caliber. Okay, but we have the money in that we could give somebody back. That would balance out. Well, you can't. You can't trade
2: John Wall. His contract is too
1: big. Trade Beal. Trade Beal. Okay, what are you getting? Nobody wants Porter because Porter, Porter is way overpaid. Right. Uh, you, I guess what I'm saying is, all these other cities that have designs on either LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George, etc., they've got limitations too. They've got, you know, hoops to jump through. Mm-hmm. My point is, we're not in anyone's discussion. Well, that, to me, is an
2: embarrassment. When's the last time a big-time free agent landed here? Never. Uh, Okay. Never. And and, and and it's it's, what you've been saying for years. There are certain NBA cities, which are... A-League cities, B-League cities, C-League cities, and the D-League, which is actually the real D-League. Boston, the Lakers.
1: Cleveland gets relevant only because LeBron is there. I know, but some cities have risen up to be destination cities, like like Houston, like Golden State. Okay. Okay. We, We should be a city... That a star wants to come to. Yeah, if if
2: you get lucky like Golden State with three draft picks, Klay Thompson, Curry, and Draymond Green, all way lower than they should have been, especially Green. Yeah. Then you get lucky, and then people like Durant say, "Oh, I'll I'll, I'll join there." But that doesn't happen, and that's yeah. what that's what if this pick, if the Wizards use this fifteenth pick, and he turns out to be a superstar like Klay Thompson or something like that, then maybe. But reality Andy, is that's
1: not going to happen. Ernie is picking it. Your boy Ernie, yeah. The fifteenth pick is not going to be a superstar. No, it'll be a miracle if he can even tie his shoes without well, spraining an ankle.
2: He he has busted on like six with Vesely, and <laughs> but but you got to say you know
1: his Beal draft and Wall, history sucks. Well, but
2: Beal and Wall were good picks. Wall, you was they were one and two, <laughs> one and or three, one and
1: three. Yeah, yeah. better make those picks. Yeah, Otto correct. Porter, not a terrible three, All but right. not a great three. Andy Poland, my longtime partner. Andy Poland's DC podcast. Uh, find archived episodes of the podcast wherever podcasts are distributed. Right, Andy? Yep. And we're hoping to make come comeback in the fall, see okay. Very good. We'll talk to you next week, Andy. Thanks. Thank you. All right, we'll end with this today. If it seems like you're seeing more and more stories of women being groped on airplanes, you are correct. If you are worried about it, however, well, you probably shouldn't be. In addition, this further plays into my Southwest Airlines I Choose You theory of the optimal boarding group on good old Southwest Airlines. First of all, this story out of Baltimore the FBI is warning about a serious federal crime that's on the rise, even though many incidents are probably not being reported. They are sexual assaults on airline flights, even though they are relatively rare. Agent said, the number of reported cases has increased in recent years. More on that relatively rare in just a second. 2014, there were 38 cases of in-flight sexual assault reported to the FBI. Last year, the number increased to 63 reported cases. But officials believe the crimes are significantly under-reported. Okay, I'm not minimizing if you or your wife or your daughter or anyone you love was groped by a creepo on a flight, or worse, it uh, does happen. It's terrible. It's traumatic. I understand it. But let's look at the numbers. Sixty three reported cases last year. Well let's say and they're underreporting them. So you know they believe that they are probably underreported. Okay. Let's let's take ten times the amount of those cases. Six hundred and thirty cases. I had to do a quick Google search of well, how many million, how many passengers are there per year? flying in the United States alone. And I went to uh, first Google result was airline or air travel facts, and they had all the numbers about flights and people and passengers and miles. They say about 2.5 million passengers fly in the USA alone every day. And then when you multiply that by 365 days, that's 912 million or thereabouts passenger flights per year. And then, using my oh-so-stellar command of mathematics, I said, well, let's divide 63. No, let's divide 630. Because remember, I'm, I'm increasing it to tenfold. 630 cases divided by 912,000,000. 000, 000. What percentage is that? And the number is point zero 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 six nine percent chance. Of getting groped on a passenger flight. Oh, six nine, huh? Oh <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> just, eh, just how the numbers came out. Honest to God, you can do the math on that. I think that's uh, that's like way less than one percent. It's it's like one one thousandth of one percent. One one million. I, I don't even know. I don't even know. It's 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 less than well, let's see, nine hundred twelve million passenger flights a year. At most, we're saying 630 or so. It's it's very rare. But here's the thing. Nobody wants to go through it. And here's why, once again, here's the best way to fly on Southwest. You get a boarding group, right? A, B, C. The best is supposedly A. You get your choice of seats, whether it's uh, against a bulkhead or a window or an aisle or blah, blah, blah. I learned the hard way, as I talked about on my show a couple years ago, that you don't want to get put next to two dudes or two crazy chicks that you don't want to be next to because I did on a flight home from Vegas one year and it, it was touch and go. It was not, not good. These two guys got so drunk. They were being such assholes. I was genuinely in fear that there was going to be a fight involving me and them. Uh, they would have probably worked my ass. Two-on-one, not fair, plus there are drunk rednecks. And then we'd land in Cincinnati, get diverted, I'd be on the news. Not not a fun trip. So it was at that point I said, you know what, never again. I said, I'm going to lay back to the mid-Bs, maybe even the late-Bs, and I am going to choose you. Oh yeah, I'm going to get a middle seat. I know that, I understand that. But I choose you. And so ever since that time, and I've taken maybe a half dozen Southwest Airlines flights, I've always laid back until the Bs. Even if I've got a a late A boarding pass, by whatever reason, I'll just wait. I'll say, go, get on, get on, get on. And then once I'm on in the late Bs, I get on that plane, I walk down that aisle, and I start scanning, 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 and I will find a middle seat that has two petite women on either side, and I will put my ass right down in the middle. Now they may not like it that a big mouth breather like me comes to sit between them but hey, too bad. I choose you. Or I will sit, you know, between two, you know, very neatly dressed businessmen who I know are not going to be a pain in the ass. You get on Southwest Airlines with an A boarding pass and you're like, "All oh, right, I got this great aisle seat where I want it." And then this plane starts filling up and then, you know, someone Friggin' lumberjack comes on at the last minute, 290 pounds, and sits in the middle seat next to you because guess what? There's no more seats. You are fucked. And that's how you do it on Southwest. Can you avoid being groped or sexually assaulted on other flights where you don't get to choose your seats? Probably not. Probably not. Which I don't know if there's a way to ensure you know, passenger it, it'd be nice if passengers could say. Look, I don't want to sit next to some mouth breather, some creepo, some guy that stinks of Marlboros and gin and tonics. Oh, wh- what's that? Hold on. I'm touching my ear here. This just didn't do so. Oh, there, there is a... Wait. Oh, first class. Oh. Oh, how much does that cost? <laughs> Ooh. A uh, uh, little pricey there. Is there any other way I could get into first class without paying that... Oh, oh, fly a lot. Oh, okay. How many How many millions of month? Exactly. That'll be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends. Hit up that Reddit thread about how great the podcast is. Leave a positive review and rating. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets as well. And always remember, when retweeting what you think is a juicy woge bomb tonight during the NBA draft, or maybe an Adam Schefter nugget over the summer, make sure it's actually them first and not a fake account that looks like them.